This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Welcome back to the Science Fictionary Podcast, presented by thesciencefictionary.com. I'm Andrew. I'm here today with Marisha. Hello. And David. Hello. And a very special guest tonight, we have Nicholas. Uh, the Backyard Tardis is with us tonight to wrap up our Pillars mm-hmm. of Fantasy conversation. And yeah, excited to join you guys. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to come on. You know, you've, you've really you, you partic- participated in the... Pillars of Sci-Fi series that we wrapped up before this, and then you've been uh, you, you've really contributed, and we we appreciate all the feedback that we get from you, and we just wanted to have you on. Like you gave me such a great detailed list, I really wanted to give you a chance to come on and and actually share your list with us on the show. Yeah, happy to, and and I, I thought it was was funny when you asked because uh, this is something. Fantasy is probably my my weak point in nerdum, but going down this rabbit hole, uh, you know, there's some things that, that I like that I don't I don't even think about that are fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then going down this rabbit hole, there was I was amazed at some of the stuff researching some of these things that I was aware of, but I didn't realize how big they were. Yeah, most most people and, and most people are fans of fantasy in some subgenre. Right. They just don't necessarily think of it that way. And that's the thing. A lot of times you don't, you know, you think of, you think fantasy, you're like, oh, you know, Lord of the Rings. And if you don't really sort of think, well, but then anything kind of dealing with magic or, you know, if it's not scientific, it's it's fantasy, right? So a lot of times it's it's easy to forget that, well, yeah, that, that kind of counts too. Yeah. Well, I mean, even things that we talk about as mostly talk about is science fiction like mm-hmm. uh, X-Files and um, some, some of the other shows that kind of deal with that stuff. Well, they get into the supernatural all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think about it. We, we yeah. talk about it as sci-fi, but truth is, is uh, there's a fair amount of fantasy interwoven even in shows like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd have to say probably my, my two favorite sci-fis are ones that uh while they're not fantasy per se they they play with that fantasy tropes is uh, stargate and doctor who you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's always an alien but they're they're playing as ancient gods right or as as vampires or whatever you know but um but putting that that sci-fi twist to it but it's still the same fantasy tropes yeah, it's. I think the biggest thing for me, and it's kind of one of the things we wanted to talk about tonight as we kind of wrap up this little adventure we've all gone on with the pillars of sci-fi and the pillars of fantasy is, you know, going down these rabbit holes, I've had a blast just sitting down and just spending hours just pouring through show lists and movies and books and just dissecting all that information. And, you know, a lot of people mix up 
sci-fi and fantasy all the time, and it's real easy to understand why. Mm -hmm. Because they're they're not separated by a whole lot. You can the the separation can literally be is it explained by science or is it explained by magic? And you can tell the exact same story. Right. Well, especially once you get you know, we, we talked about superheroes when we were recording our, our episode. Um and then there was a few of them that it was like we were trying to def- to decide like, all right, so how does it fall? You know, which category does does this superhero or that superhero fall into? You know, so then you have to kind of think back. Some of you actually have to actually kind of track back a little bit to decide. Well, yeah, like it's scientific, but it started because of a you know some kind of magical reason. I, superhero origins aren't really my thing. I'm just you know. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it is interesting, and I right. and I do think we will do a show. And I I think fortunately we've got David here to be a big help to us with the uh, the superhero origins. But yeah, um, kind of going through and looking and and trying to parcel out some of these. Again, a lot of them have science fiction origins, but a lot of them have fantasy origins too. Shazam. Right. Example. Yeah, I mean Shazam, like we talked about before, I mean pure fantasy. It's he's sort of the fantasy analog to Superman. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Superman yeah. but magic. There's a lot of magic whole lot of magic users uh in comic books uh that just come to mind like instantly I can just list them off. Satana, Constantine, which actually like, you know, got that big counter Reeves movie, which was nothing like a comic book, but still. Right. Uh, yeah, Doctor Fate, Doctor Strange, um, mm-hmm. Thor, etc. Which th- Thor is a perfect example of like, is that sci-fi? Is that fantasy? Right. Yep. Right, and it's weird because like Thor, we think of Thor and we say fantasy, but then when you get to Asgard and realize it's all science, it's totally science. It's, then you go wait. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, like, which which world are we playing in here? And it's where we really start. And that a lot of the best things are the things that have found a way to merge the two. I mean, that's what Star Wars is. Yeah. That's what Dune is. Mm-hmm. And there's even a line in Thor, right? Uh, sci- uh, magic is just science that you haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's always the fun thing. You know, like you said, some of the best mergers, you know, always going to be my favorite things, you know, are, are the ones that are, you know, like you were talking about Nicholas, it's like either it's fantasy, but it's really sci-fi influenced or vice versa. You know, it's, it's kind of technically sci-fi, but it's very fantastical. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's some, and I, and I think when you're comparing the two, you know, big comic universes, I think, um, you know, Marvel kind of plays a lot into, to, to magic is just a different kind of science, but mm-hmm. DC I think goes real real hard on magic is magic, mm. right? And, like when you look at the backstory of like Shazam or Wonder Woman, um, they they are powers from gods, and um, whereas Thor is more actually an alien race, right? Yeah, that's a good example of like what the Asgardians kind of are. They're just a powerful alien race, at least in the movies. In the comic books, you can get a little more gray. 
well, they the, do kind of like say we are gods. Well, and they've uh, done yeah. and they've done characters like Hercules and stuff too. Yeah, in, in yeah, Marvel. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you can get a little, certainly get a little of both in 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 each of the uh, the two the two major comic producers. But um, yeah, we're definitely going to take some time here in a few weeks and do an episode and just kind of get into fantasy and sci-fi elements in the superhero genre. But um, I, what we really wanted to do tonight is we've got our list completed. We did movies, we did TV, we did uh, literature, and we wrapped it up with our miscellaneous category, which is kind of that catch-all for all the little things that don't fit. And then we reached out and, and asked for some some input from, from the audience. And um, Nicholas has assembled a pretty great list here. And I, what I love about your list is that it fills the gaps in a lot of the things that we don't necessarily have a lot of experience with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Andrew and I, unfortunately, we don't provide a lot of variety. <laughs> Well, we tend to come up with really similar lists. David's are usually pretty different, but uh, Andrew and I, we kind of have to keep from stepping on each other's toes. So it's <laughs> nice to have another completely different perspective. But I, I, I like your list, and, I, and I've got some comments, but I want to kind of just go through your list uh, here one at a time, and, and we'll all just kind okay. of chime in and talk about them. The first thing you had here on your list was Pokemon. Mm. I didn't even think of Pokemon. It's like when I saw it, I was like, well, duh. Right. But, but yeah. When you think about the world of Pokemon, um, this is, this is um, of the video games that I picked here. This, this is one that I've actually spent quite a bit of time playing. That, um, and it's full of fantasy elements. The, whether it be the fact that there's like dragon types, there's magic types, ghost types, there's there's all sides of different fantasy parts. But I think that the biggest fantasy part is the fact that the, it's a world where people can send their ten year old boys out on an adventure. <laughs> right, know, it's pretty. That's pretty fantastical. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and it's not one that really came to mind for me but it is an important one but it, it's one of those things i believe it started in like originally released in what like 1996 Seems um, is that about a right a little bit before that in japan okay is 96 so, about the u.s release yeah okay. so in, in japan it released um as two video games that had you know moderate success they were kind of buggy and then they released the cartoon, which caught on as such as a craze that it caused seizures across Japan. Oh, my gosh. They had, they had to edit the intro because it used to go uh, between the two colors of the two games, mm. flashing back and forth. Okay. Right. And then after that was fixed, they brought the show to the West and it became a hit. So they, they relaunched the game series here in the West. So uh, it came out about two years prior in okay. Japan. I didn't even know, like, I, I mean, I was a kid when it kind of blew up, but I don't remember it even being a video game. I remember the cartoon and I remember the card game, 
That's the yeah. one I always remember. Like everybody was obsessed with the card game. It was the first time I'd ever seen. I mean, you could just walk through the mall and see people sitting around mm -hmm. playing Pokemon. It was the weirdest thing. Of course, all the church people were really worried about it. It was definitely Satanistic. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it was, you know, something later on the S. It, it played a lot similar to Magic. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, so it definitely, but what's interesting is in the U.S., like it kind of hit as a triple thing because they released those games on the Game Boy right at the end of the Game Boy. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a handhold everybody yes. had. Yep. But then they released the cartoon right alongside it and the card game. And so it just kind of, you know, hit that craze right then. But when you think about what it's done, um, you know, thinking about it as a pillar is so many things have imitated it right absolutely every 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 seems like every five years three or four new types of shows uh come out trying to recreate that i think the big one right now is yokai watch there was Yu-Gi-Oh. there was all these different ones digimon trying to imitate mm -hmm. pokemon success right and they're it's um, it's one of those that every time you kind of think it's going away or going away, it has this huge resurgence. So and weird. It's um, uh, it's had a lot of staying power. I mean, it's one of those things. I it came out here when I was, I was a junior in high school. You know, my life at that point was like about ninety percent football. So. <laughs> Um, it's not one of the things, it, it's not something I ever got into, but David, but you you're actually, brother. David, you're actually young enough that you actually missed the whole first wave. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't even, you know, born till the first wave was kind of gone. But is it yeah. something that you ever got into at any point? I never got into it, but I promise you people, I still knew plenty of people who, uh, were obsessed with Pokemon, um, collecting the cards, playing all the different games. I have many friends who would um, who are my age, so they missed the Game Boy, but they loved Pokemon so much they went out and found old Game Boys and all the old systems wow. to play the old games on, and and still do. Uh, Pokemon Go was a big deal, obviously. Yes. Yeah, uh, that kind of took over the whole world for a second. Uh, there's still pe like the Nintendo Switch still has new Pokemon games coming out. It's still a very very hot uh, uh, property uh, amongst nerds and gamers. Uh, still a very huge fan base that I know many m many people myself. So it's very active, but I never got into it myself. Yeah, it's kind of rare to find things that. Like, people who are just a little bit younger than your dad were into, and then people your age are still actively into. You know, most things, it's like, kids kind of get into it because it's like like Star Wars. Like, oh, you know, my dad was into Star Wars, so I got into Star Wars. But for it to be something that, like, the kids are still doing is pretty remarkable because it's not one of those things that people tend to still be quite as obsessed about as adults. But that it's managed to hold a young audience and young people who tend to cycle through things so quickly that it's managed to to hold on that long is pretty impressive. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was one of those things where, like, I've fallen off because I, I think the first game I probably sank 70 hours into. Okay. Um, and, you know, as an adult, I don't have that kind of time. Right. Uh, most of them you can beat in 20 to 30 hours to, like, complete beat is around 70 hours mm-hmm. um, if you're a completionist. But the thing that got me kind of back into it uh, was when they came out recently on the Switch, the Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, that was kind of a, a 3D version of the first game. Hmm. And you, you go around and instead of the battle system, you just throw the ball at the TV. And so I, I got my I got that and, and played through it with my four-year-old. It's kind of her first video game. And, and all she did was, you know, point at it and get that one, get that one. And we were about halfway through, and she finally was like, I want to throw the ball. <laughs> oh, so no, Dad. You lost out. To her wrist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that's, a, that's an excellent um, entry on the list, and I'm glad that you put it on there. It's one of those that kind of came up in my research, but honestly, I didn't know enough about it, and it just kind of the way we did our list and kind of the reason we're asking other people to give us their entries is because we just kind of ran out of room. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing that you've got on your list, and you may have to correct my pronunciation on this, is Shonen Jump Manga. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's manga or manga, but Shonen basically means boy. Uh, so they it had a sister magazine that was for girls, but it, it basically, the, the Shonen Jump basically meant like young boy action comic okay huh and so um this was interesting because i i didn't realize all of these were one contained comic kind of like um like uh dc used to have action comic right where you know like superman and different ones got their start there um this is kind of the same thing where it's it's not one thing like Dragon Ball would be one story inside mm-hmm. this comic. Okay. Yeah, I was unaware of that and, as well. And when I looked through the list of stuff that, that was involved in it, you know, Dragon Ball, One Piece, Naruto, these are these are big fantasy properties. Fist of the North Star, Hunter Hunter, Yu-Gi-Oh, Bleach, Dragon Quest. And, and there was many more that I didn't recognize, but those were ones that were names that I'm like, okay, I've heard of that. Uh, and probably mostly I, I, I follow a, a show called Death Battle. And so a lot of my knowledge of like this Japanese stuff just comes from when they, they do research on it. Um, okay. But it, it was interesting doing the research, how much this affected post-World War II Japan. Hmm. Because this comic basically took these young boys and and brought them into kind of American fantasy. Right. And then you see this is this in the 60s. And then in the 80s, you have people like Miyamoto and, and different video game creators creating all these fantasy games. Hmm. And it's because they grew up on these kind of comics. 
Okay. Very interesting. So, I mean, I know we talked about when we were doing um, our Pillars of Sci-Fi, I think there was there were a couple of publications that kind of came out as like really important, like, and this is where a whole bunch of these kinds of stories and things were published. So that's kind of the Japanese equivalent. So they were basically yeah. doing the same thing there as was going on here of these, you know, like collections of, uh, you know, anthologies and, and paperbacks, you know, of lots of different kinds of stories. Is that kind of the deal? Yeah, and it's it's very, you know, manga has a little bit of a different art style, but it's very similar to the comics mm-hmm. that we have here. And um, so, you know, there, I mean, there are certain things that are that are Japanese tropes. Uh, us Americans don't necessarily always understand, but it's uh, true. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's 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 why you know the Japanese are obsessed with young boys with swords ten times their size and <laughs> you know all that yeah all that stuff that we see in all their anime and video games and that that kind of stuff. But um, a lot of these have tons of classic Western sci-fi tropes and characters so when you go into them and and you're looking at these characters in there you can see Hmm. oh well that character is obviously based on merlin or that character is obviously based on um you know henson and gretel or you know just all that kind of stuff plays into their their culture now interesting yeah, my kids every once in a while they'll they'll get go down a, a rabbit hole and they'll come in, they'll be watching like some sort of random Japanese cartoon on Netflix. And I'm like, and I'll and I'll start watching it and I'm like, they're having a you know, like and it's Halloween. And I was like, who knew? Halloween was the thing in Japan, you know? So it's really interesting the kind of the cultural exchange. You you know, you think about like, oh, we've been influenced by you know, things from, from Japan, you know, Sailor Moon, you know, things like that. But we forget sometimes, yeah. I think, that that influence cuts both ways. Well, yeah, especially with, uh, you know, a lot of that comes like like Nicholas was talking about with post-World War II Japan. when Right, it was occupied. Well, it was occupied. We had There were a lot of Americans, young Americans, soldiers, mm-hmm. and their families there. And Japan really changed its identity. You mentioned Sailor Moon. Initially, th- that was my spot here, was Sailor Moon. And then I started thinking, well, you know, they mentioned Dragon Ball Z. But what inspired those? So that's what made right. me decide yeah. to, to go to manga. Because all these shows were comics decades before. So before we had hmm. MCU and the DCEU, you know, the, Japan has been adapting their comics to to cartoons, you know, trying to... Um, do that, and and they're they're hugely successful. That was one thing I did. I did not realize that their circulation was so big because, um, and it may not have come across to my Twitter thing, but they're they have more issues than any other comic in circulation. Now that that's not all of collective DC or all of collective Marvel, but mm-hmm. any one comic run that 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 Marvel or DC has this comic has been running continuously, um, you know, since the sixties. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. And it's definitely, you can see the, the effects that it's had on, 
particular, just animation in general all across mm-hmm. the board is even American artists are doing a lot of emulating of that style now. Mm-hmm. But the next thing you have on your list is you've got Disney Renaissance. And I'll let you tell us a little bit more about what you were, what you meant by that. So I was listening to your other, um, I think it was your miscellaneous and you were trying to pad out. It's either your movies or your miscellaneous. And you were like, well, we don't want to add too many more Disney. What well, you know, maybe we should add Aladdin. Maybe we should add the little mermaid. Um, but for me, that whole period of Disney, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, we kind of had the, the age of the princesses and stuff and that was spread out over a long period of time, but then it had gone quiet. And then they, they just burst out onto the scene mm-hmm. and it's 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 so much very diverse fantasy yes because yeah. you've got the little mermaid aladdin beauty and the beast that right there those three way up there but then you have stuff like pocahontas and mulan and hercules mm-hmm. hunchback and notre dame um uh the lion king you know and even even that you know based on a fairy tale just told with within the animal kingdom Right. And and so when I think of my childhood and fantasy, like those movies right there are my main exposure to fantasy as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I mean even for me, I mean starting with things like The Little Mermaid, I mean those were things that came out when I was still a kid. I mean, and I so it you know, those things had a big impact on some mm-hmm. of my early exposure to fantasy storytelling mm-hmm. and then stretches all the way across to where David, I suspect that the, that Disney, the Disney movies from that kind of resurgence of Disney as like a major powerhouse in animated movie making, mm-hmm. what has probably had a very large effect on, on your exposure to fantasy storytelling as well. 100%. Even though, that's that sort of renaissance relatively speaking to me it was still um i was still like too young to be around when all those were coming out right or or pay attention but still they're so big that even though the movies might have come out 10 years before i was born when i was born some of the first movies that were being shown to me Mm -hmm. were, were all of those and it's probably what sparked my interest in the first place was Stuff like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and, um, uh, you know, Lion King. Uh, Lion King was one of my favorite movies for a long time, so it probably still is, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. It sparks that interest, that wonder. Uh, really, the, the, that's the word that comes to mind is it sparks a wonder in kids uh, yeah. of what could the world be, what more is there out there for storytelling, what magical things can I see happen. I want to watch more movies like that. Mm-hmm. I want to watch another one about the the fantastical world and the underdog who who just wants to get by, but is really the hero and and stuff like that. that no that's worries. all present in fantasy. No worries, they're here to remake them in live action for that very <laughs> yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the the wonderful thing about a lot of the Disney stuff is the staying power that it has had. Mm-hmm. You know, these movies, like because, like David's saying, like he was born after most of these came out but his parents 
went and got those movies. Those were some of the first movies he mm -hmm. saw. There are there are people that still like they're some of the first movies that you think of when you think about like you know, exposing your children to movies. Mm -hmm. They're like the first yeah. place you go. I mean, like whenever I, I Beauty and the Beast, not Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah, but I mean Beauty and the Beast. Like you know, they re-released it whenever Iana was like two. I mean, and I was sure enough that mom going out and buying, the, you know, oh, it's you know, the, I totally like the suckers that fall for the the it's out of the vault for the first time and let done. <laughs> yes, I was that person out there buying every single one of those movies while they were out of the vault because now I had kids who need to see all these movies. Mm -hmm. so. And now there's Disney Plus. Yes. Yes. And when you think of uh, these movies, um, you also think of the music. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yes. But I mean, this is, and you know, you talked about the Disney parks. Like, there is something about being at a Disney park, and then you know, just all of a sudden, you're hearing the tune of "Be Our Guest," right, over the, the speakers, and then all of a sudden, like, the, it just floods all back to you. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just amazing how much the music in these and and. Disney's starting to get back to that with like Frozen and that kind of stuff, yeah. but for a while there, it seemed like they lost that. Yes, but and but the crazy thing is, culturally, we all know those tunes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. and I'm pretty sure um, wasn't the soundtrack for Beauty and the Beast the only animated movie to ever win Best Music um, Academy Award? I'm not sure about that. I don't know if it was the only one. It might have been the first one. I know it was. I think what it was, it was the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture was uh, Beauty and the Beast. Okay. It was that or a different Disney movie. But I, it very, very well may have won uh, Best Soundtrack. I'm not sure about that one, but I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, uh, I, I could see it. I mean, show how much of a, a nerd I am. As the sirens go by, uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, in school we did the soundtrack to the Lion King and Choir. Oh, that's awesome! The school I was at had a steel drum program, so I did that as an after-school program, and I performed uh, Under the Sea a couple of times. Naturally, yeah. So it's everywhere. That 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 music is just pervasive. The, those stories, the the magic of that, it, it just sticks. And some of the other stuff that they've they've come out with since, I think Pixar kind of stole the light from, and and they they didn't get as much funding. Mm -hmm. I think they're getting back to it. Yep. But uh, that that period of time, just some amazing animated movies. Absolutely. Yep. And I'm glad you kind of brought that up because I kind of was thinking, like as I was making my list, I kind of felt like I wanted to put. Um, Little Mermaid on the list kind of because it was sort of the thing that sort of uh, kicked off that that renaissance but like I had so many Disney movies on my list already I was like I've got to I've got to stop so I'm glad somebody else did it <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's it's Disney is is without doubt you know we talk about Lord of the Rings kind of being the end all of fantasy storytelling but mm -hmm. there is no doubt that as a company 
working in the fantasy realm that Disney is the powerhouse. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to the extent where the Disney versions of any given fairy tale, once Disney done it, has done it, it's the... I lost the word. It is the version. <laughs> That's the end all. Yeah, because it is the end think all. of it as a Disney property. Right, exactly. You don't think of it as a Grimm's fairy tale. You think of it right. as it's a like Disney It's like all movie. these stories that they've done that are in the public domain and mm-hmm. anyone can take them and adapt them and nobody touches them. Mm-hmm. If they do, they take them and they do some like wide scope version of it where it's very loosely based on characters and they don't call it Snow White. Or, right. you know, Cinderella is you one that I correct. think more people have tinkered around with than, than any of the others. But, um, yeah, nobody's out there, like, trying to go toe-to-toe with Disney on telling these stories. Except yeah. maybe Andy Serkis. I hadn't watched that movie yet. What movie? Uh, he did The Jungle Book. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it either. All right, so the next thing you had on your list is the collective works of Square Enix. Nice. Oh. You just talked about a company that's built themselves on fantasy. Square mm-hmm. Enix is another one. And Squaresoft and Enix Co. were two of the biggest names in Japanese sci-fi video games. And then they merged. Hmm. And so pretty much all the fantasy RPGs all came under one house. So you've got Final Fantasy is probably the biggest here in the West, fantasy, yep. but in Japan, Dragon Quest is the biggest. Okay. They're both run by the same company. Wow. Yeah, I have a um, cousin who's really into Final Fantasy, and they like, like, we go to Star Wars conventions, she goes to Final Fantasy conventions. It's pretty unreal yeah. how big it is. Yeah, well, I mean, she literally writes for a website about mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. yeah. And... And Final Fantasy is one of those ones where it's kind of a very loosely connected world. They, they share certain, certain tropes, certain creatures, but each game is kind of like a rebirthing of the world and environment. They're not, they're not fully story connected. Hmm. So there, there are cult classics of, of specific games in the series. And they're oh, on 14 right now. I knew there were a lot, like, because she was talking about it one day. I was like, oh, you know, I was just curious. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, Final Fantasy four, you know, it was kind of what I was, and I was like, 14, how on earth do you get that many iterations of a video game? It's pretty unreal. Well, and then you have like 13, which had 13, two and 13. And then you've got music spinoff games and tactic RPG games, but, uh, and then you have the Kingdom Hearts series, which is Final Fantasy characters and Disney characters together in a world. Mm-hmm. Ah. So ruled by King Mickey. Right. So, David, based on your reaction, I, I'm assuming that you, you're familiar with these games. Um, not overly familiar. I haven't played uh, any Final Fantasy, but I'm very aware okay. of them and Square Enix. And um, I actually... I've delved more into uh, Square Enix's other non-fantastical properties a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of them from those. But okay. at least in terms of this, I mean, Final Fantasy is 
Final Fantasy is probably one of the pillars of gaming in general. Yes. Just that whole franchise is so big and important. Mm-hmm. And I would even argue, I, I'm mad at myself for not thinking of it, because even though I haven't played them, I'm, I'm well aware of them. Final Fantasy probably could have been an entry to itself, mm-hmm. just with how big it is. But you're right to include the whole works of them, because then you also have Kingdom Hearts, um, which I have not played either. Uh, but I know I should, because I'm sure it's an incredible game series. But I'm a big fan of Square Enix. I think they make great games. And um, yeah. so that's a great entry. I'm so glad that you, you brought that up because I didn't I didn't even think about it. But I 100 120 percent agree that it belongs on the list. And then some of their, their lesser known games today, because they're not really active series, but the Mana series was um, at the time a very beloved back in you know the original NES and SNES days. Uh, and then the the Chrono or Chrono Trigger um, series that was one that was at the time uh, declared the greatest fantasy RPG ever. Wow. Um, of course, you know that's been decades then, but at the time that right. was what reviewers were were titling it. So, um, and then you know you, you look at Kingdom Hearts and. That's that's a game I've never played, but I've watched cutscenes. I've watched the marketing for, and it's you're you're playing as a Final Fantasy type character, but you're going to the Hundred Acre Woods, and then you're going under the sea, right. and then you're going and fighting Captain Hook, and then you know you're just going from Disney World to Disney World. That is being infected with this uh, bad Final Fantasy type virus. Hmm and restoring all of these Disney worlds. Is that um, the direction they went after um, Disney Infinity kind of didn't, didn't launch? Uh, no, it started before Disney Infinity. Okay. Okay. So it's one of those things where the one thing that Square Enix is guilty of is that they take too long to produce their games. Mm-hmm. Uh. So they, they will announce the games being worked on and then usually four years later, wow, they will hire an additional director to come in and speed up production. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, they they've had a long history of taking a long time between games. But they're no doubt those are all important games. Now, the next thing you've got on the list is another really storied video game series that began with one of the greatest side scrollers of all time. In um Oh, uh, the Castlevania in Castlevania. Yeah, this is a series that, um, which came out right around the same time as Metroid, and it was really um, trying to think because it was it was kind of the second Metroid game, the Super Metroid, and uh, the second Castlevania game that really kind of was stretched out and came up with this idea of it's all one level you can go everywhere but there's going to be locked doors there's going to be all these different passageways places you can't get to places you're not ready for and it was kind of like modern open world but done in the flat 2d screen space Hmm. and they they because those two games came out one in sci-fi one in in fantasy um, 
they decided to just call that genre Metrovania. Metrovania. Huh. And uh, so, and it's, it's one of those things where right now, the influence is huge because there's this indie revival period that we're in. Um, you know, games are getting expensive to make and all these people are making games in their garage and Metrovania is all the successful ones seem to be these Metrovania styles, stuff like Shovel Knight um, comes to mind. Just fantastic games that all go back to that style. Well, it's, you know, it's one of those, one of the Konami games who, who had a, a long list of, of fantasy type games, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, this has been one that has persisted and I believe still, does it still have an ongoing series on Netflix? Yes. Okay. For those of us who are more likely to watch So you're talking about something that's stretched across, you know, I I don't, with the game, the first game was the origin, correct? Or was there something before the game? Uh, yes. The first game was the origin. Okay. Um, but the, the, the thing that's interesting about it is that as they progressed, um, you know, and they jumped kind of from being a Nintendo game to a Sony game. Hmm. They became heavy with cutscenes, and so there's a lot of lore there that is something done new with the Dracula series because it it focuses not so much on Dracula, but on the people whose job it is to hunt down Dracula. So this Belmont family and like their whole history and some of them turning into vampires. And it it has like an elaborate story to that, that while other properties tend to just reiterate as as we kind of, you talked before about um, the book Dracula, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of added something fresh and new to that story. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. David, have you had any experience with any of the Castlevania stuff? Uh, unfortunately, no, not, not really. Just something that never stuck out to me, but, um, maybe, maybe one day if I'm feeling up to it, I'll give some of it a try. Yeah. The, the games they, have had a, no, did a, uh, a collection of the classic games. Ah, yeah. That's always awesome. fun. Is it available on that? Um, what is it that service you're always so keen on, David? The Xbox Game, Game Pass. Pass, yes. And you have to see if it's on Game Pass. My, Game Pass has a lot of stuff, so maybe. Uh, I'll give, if it's on Game Pass, sure, I'll try it. Yes, David is a big fan of Game Pass. <laughs> he frequently touts the virtues of it. It's. It's a good service. Yeah, it is a good service, and it's just getting better. Um, with the launch of the new Xbox, it's I mean, they're adding some serious stuff to it. It's gone from being kind of like older titles or some of the small release new stuff to where like literally all the launch stuff this fall, all of the new games are going to go straight to Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Game Pass podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Game Pass is amazing. Add that to the list of... Uh, other uh, spinoff podcast potentials, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Um, uh, but Castlevania is one <laughs> that I played it in the early days, like the NES days. I haven't played it 
a whole lot since. I Probably not long after that, I got real into sports games. And then kind of just mostly for a long time, we just mostly played lots of sports games and Mario and Zelda. And that's what we played in my yeah. house. And, uh, and then by the time I got back into gaming in the early 2000s, I got really into FPS gaming and have mm -hmm. never really gotten away from that. So you should explore yeah. it, love. You should explore the other nuances of video games with interesting cutscenes for your wife to watch because watching Apex for long periods of time is not that entertaining <laughs> for the other people in the room. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> and this is, this is one of those things where um, it's you know, we talked about the, the music of the Disney, like the music for Castlevania is also excellent. If um, you're someone who likes, whether, whether it be the new stuff, which is all sympathy, but, um, you know, the, the older stuff, you know, the chip tune, mm -hmm. just great music. Uh, and I think one of the things that shows this property still has legs is when they announced it, for Smash Brothers, for Nintendo's fighting game, right? That they were going to have a Castlevania character in it. Like the internet blew up. Everybody's doing reaction videos. That they were just shocked that that got in. And, and one of the things is the creator of that game, you know, wanted to to put some of the music in there, and so he sent over a thing and a list of like 50 songs and said, you know, whichever ones they can have, these, these are ones I'd like. And they came back and said, well, you can use them all. Wow. And so those are all tracks in this fighting game. So it's Konami is a, a shadow of its former shelf. Right. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're much more into pachinko machines, but, but this is, this is a property that I think people are really clamoring for it to come back. Yeah, I keep wondering what's going to happen with Konami. You know, Konami was in the early, they were so invested in the arcade scene. Hmm. And, you know, of course that hurt them. But, I mean, they own some some big names, in, in, you know, with Castlevania, uh, Metal Gear, Silent Hill. Uh, they've still got some big things that they can pull out, but it's... But they're they're making so much money on the pachinko gambling Right. But video games is now such a small percentage. So I, I'm, I'm I really surprised that they sell. That Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm really surprised at this point. It seems like they could make more money on their gaming by just selling it off. Yeah. So that may be something that uh, I'm kind of surprised that hasn't already happened. And it, it may be something that's coming down the line. But um the next thing that you have was uh, on your list was Magic the Gathering. Yes. Hmm. That's, um, that, you know, prior to Pokemon, uh, that was kind of my first exposure to battling card games. And I, mm -hmm. I never, I've, I've never played D&D. But, uh, you know, Magic the Gathering kind of fills a similar... Um, niche of you know having all these cards, having a, a strategy, and 
um, it was one of those things that like when I was introduced to it, um, I went to school, I had a friend that was, they were, everyone was doing it and somebody gave me all their junkie cards <laughs> and we were playing for keeps. And so I started playing and I kept getting other people's cards and, and I, and I did that for a while until I brought them home and my mom saw them and, and then they were gone. Uh-oh. But, uh, <laughs> Alas, moms. Yeah. But, uh, you know, really um, getting into, you know, just mashing all of those different the sci-fi tropes into one game. And having you know strategy and a lot of replayability. Each each match is completely different based on what what cards the players bring into it. So it, I've it's one thing. There's something that I've heard people talk about. It's actually a card game. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Like it's something that I hear a lot about, but I am not familiar enough with it to to really even know that it was a card game. So. What's yeah. It's Wizards of the Coast, correct? Yeah. Who who now own uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, okay. And it's it's one of those things where you know you have a party and you have you have character cards that you put down, and then you have potions and spells and and different environmental effect cards and all these different things where. You can have two people playing, and it can be a very simple game, or you can have somebody that really has high strategy, and they can have all hmm. they can plan out their deck of cards to really um, make a very interesting and high stakes match. And what's kind of it's it foreshadowed is right now is they're doing this digitally huh, and a right. whole bunch of companies that have sci-fi or or not sci-fi uh, fantasy properties you know like world of warcraft and and uh diablo and all, all these different games have now created digital card games right where you're buying packs of cards at random on your cell phone and you're battling them with people over the internet Hmm. and they're making millions <laughs> yeah that's a, that you know and you always have to admire people who manage to reinvent i mean something like you know the digital revolution it could have killed card games but somebody was smart enough to say hey let's digitize it so um i guess nerds tend to be pretty good about that but you always have to admire um a uh, Y'all, I can't find my words tonight. I can never find my words. <laughs> never mind. Just you can just edit this out because I I can't I can't say, I can't find the words I'm looking for. So, all right, let's. Sorry. Yeah, that's a that's another great entry though. David, have you played any of that Magic or any of the other uh, similar card games? Uh, one time, this uh, re really, really weird kid begged me to play Magic with him at, 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 at school, and I lost. 
That's it. <laughs> that's the beginning and the end of your your magic that's the, the beginning story, and the huh? end of my magic journey. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm I'm really impatient. I love gaming and I love stuff like that, and I thought I'd be into it, but I'm really impatient, and so I was like a whole new set of rules <laughs> that I don't already know. Well, how in the world did you and get into Dungeons and Dragons? It took a while. It took it took it took my friend buying the books and him learning it and him telling me what I needed needed uh-huh. to know along the way because he put in all the hard work. Okay, so it took until somebody... eventually I just figured it all out. Yeah, see, I'm with you. That's how I learn games because, like, even card games, I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and read the instructions. I'm just not. So, if somebody can't explain this to me on the fly, then I'll just watch. I... That's exactly it. I'm just impatient. Like, I don't play... There's a reason I've been playing Skyrim for 10 years and not yeah. something else. Because <laughs> I know how to play that. <laughs> it's one of those things that it has so many rules to it that, you know, if, if poker is checkers, then Magic the Gathering is 4D chess. Ah. Uh. You know, there's, there's just so many cards, so many different... You can think that you have a great strategy and then they plop down a couple of cards and you've lost the game mm-hmm. you know because it's it, it's really one of those things where there, there is no one card is the most powerful card there's always a counterbalance there's always this affects that kind of rock paper scissors to that's it. exactly what i was thinking i was like oh like rock paper scissors exactly now that makes sense to me <laughs> and and pokemon's kind of a a watered down version. Okay. Simplified for younger kids. Marketed more for kids. Because I know it was marketed for like, you know, 10 year olds. So 10 year olds hadn't got the patience to learn all the rules. So we had to get, we had to get a simpler version, huh? Yep. Awesome. All right. So next on your list, you have Ultima Online. Yes. Now, um, I, when you think of, fantasies and games right now like the the big thing is the the mmorpg correct and that's you know obviously wow is is the biggest one but you have like fantasy star online elder scrolls online final fantasy online you know all of these big properties all have these massive continuous online communities and so i thought well it's the pillar series. So what would, what was the origin of that? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was EverQuest, but I thought, well, I better look it up. And EverQuest was preceded by a couple of years by Ultima online. Um, and the Ultima series was a fantasy series on the PlayStation that wasn't doing well. EA kind of thought of it as one of their, their properties that they were getting ready to cut loose. And this game was developed with very little initial support. They gave it very little uh, marketing because they didn't expect it to do anything. It became the number one PC selling game of all time up to that point when it released. Wow. With, with no marketing and it was a subscription basis. So, this is in 97. People were paying monthly to play this game plus an initial $60 to buy it. And the video game companies saw dollar signs. Yep. And that's 
why we have so many of these games now. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is because I, I don't ever hear anything about it. as So I was trying to figure out when it ended. They released a new expansion for it this year. Oh, wow. It's still going. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. I wasn't aware it was still going. It was one I was kind of, you know, vaguely aware of, but not one I've uh, ever really looked all that into. You know, World of Warcraft really kicked off right about the time I started college or a little after. And I'm the way I play video games, the number of hours that I will put into a video game, I was always scared to get into these games. You didn't want to flunk out of college? I you had a lot busy? of classmates that flunked out of college. Because of these games. Yeah. I 100% believe it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time playing Mass Effect instead of doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> but at least Mass Effect has an end. <laughs> right. These games don't have an end. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it has an end, but it also has a new game button. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that people really get sucked into these into these fantasy worlds. But it's... And I've been watching... Matt Vader's been streaming... Uh, um, he's he's kind of been playing World of Warcraft mm-hmm. casually on his Twitch. Right. And it's surprising, the cutscenes. Um, they're, they're better than the World of Warcraft movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless its little heart. It wanted to be so good, but those orcs, they just were... <laughs> They looked like a joke. Which is a shame, too. That was one. That actor is so talented. Yeah. I think he thought that was going to be the beginning of his big Hollywood. Well, yeah, that was that was one. I, I think everybody was rooting for that to be a great movie. And it just... It was not. Um, but well, it, And Assassin's Creed was the same year, I think. Yeah. That, that was, was a property I almost put on this list. Because it's it's unique take on combining fantasy and history. Right. Yeah. But it is that, that was a movie that I didn't know how they messed up. I'd argue that Assassin's Creed is more sci-fi because they they use a piece of technology to access all the memories and stuff. But I could definitely. But there's obviously fantasy element, huge fantasy elements. It's, yeah. It's but all the tasty. items that they're fighting over are items from the Garden of Eden. Yeah, they're all magical. Yeah, exactly. So it's I would still uh, argue more sci-fi, but but. Very, I, I wouldn't complain if that would have been on your on your list. It's one of those that kind of fits both places, kind of mm-hmm. things, right? It's like a, like like Thor, yeah. But it, that's one of those that you look at. I can understand how you could mess up doing a World of Warcraft movie. You mm-hmm. did such a big world, and trying to even figure out where to start in it is a challenge, and. You know, largely what they got wrong was visual. And, but when you look at one like Assassin's Creed, it's like you wouldn't think that it would be that hard to adapt a really good Assassin's Creed story for a movie. I mean, essentially, the games are already that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, that's the, the games are cutscene heavy and it's a historical timepiece. I mean, correct. Usually those are, you know, Oscar nominees. <laughs> right, right. You know, but not but, that one. They had, they had too much fog; you couldn't see anything. I hated. That was one of the worst theater experiences I ever had. Was seeing that movie. Uh, just 
Me, the only the only good time about it was me and my friends laughing at it. God, that movie was awful. It's one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> Off subject, but yeah. God, that movie's bad. But still related. Right. And they went and got Mike, Michael Fassbender, and I mean, they, you know, it should have been good. Yeah. You know, like looking at all the all the pieces of it, the uh, the sum was significantly less than the whole. You know, the truth is though that every year there are bad adaptations of great stories. It's true. And there are far more bad mediocre to bad movies made every year than really good ones. Yeah. And I, I think when it comes to video games, the style of their nature lends them better to television. I agree with that. That's an excellent point. Because you can't convey the quest. You know, the, the, you know when you, you, you take a 40-hour a, a video game mm-hmm. and try to tell it in two hours, it's a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have them accomplishing a quest every week right. and getting to that end boss and have the story develop over that, it works much better. Yeah. That's an excellent point, which, you know, The Witcher was really well yep. done, but it probably wouldn't have been a great two-hour movie. It probably would have been a really mediocre two-hour movie, like completely forgettable. And and the pacing would have been terrible, yeah. and everybody would have complained about all the, you know, well, why did they include this and not that? And they didn't explain this, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a really excellent point about um, video game adaptations. So you heard it here, Hollywood, make... <laughs> Video game TV shows, not video game movies. I think with the, and we've talked about this a lot lately, but really with the advent, particularly of premium television, it has really changed the whole game as far as how big of a story you can get away with telling on TV. But the the last thing you have on your list, I think, (laughs) is something that I don't know how much Marisha's ever had to do with them, but I I know I have. And I mean, I, I remember... I don't know how old you are, Nicholas, but I remember when Legos went from being blocks to being like you could buy sets from movies and and, and all these other other things. Yeah. But your next entry was Legos. Yeah. As a kid, I was obsessed with Legos. That was that was my my toy of choice. And what's interesting is until they started doing Star Wars, the number one Lego set was their castle series. Right. Hmm. Yeah. That was their bestseller. And, you know, it was how you developed your own fantasy in your head. And, you know, it, and, and what is fantasy but an exploration of the imagination. Yeah. And that's that's what Lego is. It's, it, it, it allows you to take that and, and build what you what you envision and then envision it as greater than it looks than what you build. Mm, that's a great entry. I didn't even thought about that, but I 100% agree. That's awesome. I love Legos. I want to go play with Legos right now. Mm-hmm. Can we cut this short so I can go play with some Legos I have in my closet? Yep. And they, they've done such an amazing job of going, you know, remaining the thing where you can, you know, have the random pieces and build your your own vision and spawning it into this huge empire of, you know, $300 Millennium Falcon 
Lego mm-hmm. sets and movies and video games. And I mean, who would have thought whenever I was a kid, I never would have been. If somebody had told me there's going to be a Lego movie and it's going to make boatloads of money, I would have laughed in your face. I've been like, that is not a thing. That is ridiculous. Well, here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That movie rocks. It's true. And it's the, the Lego Batman movie is probably the best Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not wrong. Yeah. That movie's great. Yeah. So, oh. but, uh, you know, I can recall, um, like Andrew was talking about, when it uh, switched from just regular sets and they started getting licensed properties. And I was probably at the age where um, I would have been like, oh, I was getting into video games. I would have been done with Legos. And then the Indiana Jones set started coming out. And then the Star Wars set started yep. coming out. And I think that I probably, you know, around 10 to 12, someone there probably would have stopped. But I think through my whole teen years, I still was big into Legos because they started putting yeah. all of these properties into Lego. Yeah. Well, I was 19 years old when the first Lego Star Wars set came out and I sure enough bought it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it, it's that actually won me a, a Star Wars trivia match at the, uh, at the brewery a couple of years ago. I That's think that great. I think that question was the deciding factor on when the first Star Wars Lego set came out. That's great. But it's uh, Lego. It's it's one of those things that we've kind of already talked about. Some it's one of those that lets you. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. It lets you sort of create your own mm-hmm. world and adventure. I'm and, totally not on eBay here looking up Lego castle sets. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) That was, you know, that was one of those things that, you know, it it was funny because my brother was into Legos too. And and we had very different personalities. And he was, he was one that every time they went to the store, he he, he would beg and whine. And I I would save up. I, I would wait. I would wait. I wouldn't get anything. And then I would tell my parents, you know, uh, we'd have a special event coming up, and I go, I really want that one, and it'd be like the hundred dollar Lego set, <laughs> right? And my brother was always getting like the little five dollar, ten dollar sets like, uh-huh. every trip to the grocery store every week. Yep. And I would just like every about every six months, I'd be like, I want that one. <laughs> yeah. My parents would get it for me, and yep. so that was one of those things that you know, I had a lot of those big sets. Right. And you could you could make some epic castles. I had some pretty fantastical uh, the Egyptian pyramids. I had fantastical spaceships, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a really great entry that I hadn't even really considered, but it absolutely mm-hmm. it's absolutely deserves to be on that list. No, this was this was a really great list uh, list that you uh, put together for us here, Nicholas and. Uh, really glad you were able to come on the on the show and actually share it with us yourself. If if, if you don't mind, I do have some things that I'd like to mention. Honorable yeah, mention, of course. So you know, these didn't quite cut it as a pillar, but they're definitely some great examples of fantasy. 
there's the Bioware's Dragon Age RPG. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, you, if you like, um, oh, now my mind's failing me. What was the, the sci-fi property that Mass David Effect. just mentioned? If you like Mass Effect, Bioware, before that, Dragon Age was the fantasy version of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's Dragon Age is great. Really great game. Fantasy Star Online, that was the first console MMORPG, and it's much smaller than a game like WoW, but uh, a lot of charm. The Tolfell did a, a game, Wolf Among Us, and this is a much better version of Once Upon a Time. This is, this is the idea that the fairy tales, there's a portal that brings them to the real world, and they have perception filters that makes it so that they look like humans. Ah. And it follows the story of a reformed big bad wolf as he plays a gruff detective <laughs> and having to solve a murder that Snow White's involved in. That's mm-hmm. excellent. Because yeah, that's a, fun game. A, a better version of Once Upon a Time is great because, yeah. That's a great description of it. I, I'd agree. Definitely a better version of once upon a better a better execution of the idea yeah a much cooler one and the, the last thing I, I will shout out is uh is ruby i know what was it andrew was the one that had, was familiar with red versus blue yes yeah I, I love uh rooster teeth so their ruby series was something that they hired an animator to come on around season eight of Red versus Blue, and he did such an amazing job of taking that from just heads nodding up and down to the full animation. And so they said, what do you want to do yourself? And so he said he wanted to do a show starting Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks. Huh. And so they're going into Academy. They're fighting the creatures of Grimm. All the teachers are based on the Wizard of Oz. The headmaster is the Wizard of Oz. Um, the, the hook of the thing is everything in the world is a sword and a gun. So, like, Red Riding Hood has a giant scythe, but it's also a sniper rifle. <laughs> the, the Monkey King, he's got nunchucks, but they also shoot bullets, so they're gunchucks. Gunchucks. Oh dear. Is both, and the fight choreography is just amazing. But it, it it starts out, you know, it pulls you in with some early episodes that show you what the fight's going to be like. Then it kind of it kind of starts out, and for most most of us guys, we're going to be like, oh, this is this is a show about you know young girls in a in a in a college setting. And then by season three, characters are dying. The, the stakes get way up, and then they go really deep into fantasy lore. Huh. And so uh, the show kind of evolves, and it's really in-depth fantasy. Awesome. I'll have to check that but, one out. But one of, the, one, one of the cool things, it doesn't take that long, because each season, there's seven seasons, but each season only uh, is about an hour and a half to two hours to watch. Because uh, it's a web series. But one of the things that's interesting is to, every time they introduce a new character, start guessing. 
what fantasy character is this person based on? Because some of them are obvious and some are not. And they had one where everyone's, what is this lady? What is this lady? And then she comes out in a giant mech shaped like a shoe. <laughs> Old woman in the shoe. That's great. And so, it's, you know, it's just, that's kind of the thing, is, is just trying to figure out who these characters are and um, who, who they're inspired by. That's excellent. I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, that was, uh, that, like I said, that was a great list. And uh, there's some really good stuff even on your, your honorable mention list there. But uh, we're really glad you were able to come on and share that with us. And I think that's going to kind of wrap us up for the Pillars of yep. Fantasy. And we're going to, uh, there'll be a poster just like the one that's on our T public page for the pillars of sci-fi, the new poster for the pillars of fantasy, which will match with a tweak logo. will go up on there this weekend, just in time for, I believe the next T public sale. Um, oh, okay. I have to hold Andrew every time it goes on. He's like, Oh, I have to buy stuff. It's like, you don't have to buy stuff every time something goes on sale. But I, I don't. So I didn't realize you guys. So you have a you have T Public as well. Uh, T Public's the only place we have a store. Okay. Well, I just meant uh, I was trying to find different Red Five Network. What's what's the name under? Is it Science Fiction? It's under si the si It's under the Science Fictionary. The easiest way to get to it, though, honestly, is to go to the sciencefictionary.com and there's a shop yeah. and there's a shop link in the top right corner. Okay. Yeah, I have to do the same thing with uh, Salty Nerd. I can I can find Rose website right off the bat for um, Scarif. Scarif, Scuttlebutt. But yeah, when I try to search Salty Nerd, like all I get is a whole bunch of shirts that say salt on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried searching for some of his, and like I got like I got all kinds of strange things with just like different. Things concerning salt. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but if you go to like, um, I, I've been. I recently, I think I bought like hundred and eighty dollars worth of mostly Red Five, but you know, I had to get myself a Baby Yoda mask. <laughs> right. Naturally, yeah. I mean, and, of course. And, you know, an R two D two mask, and you know, um, that that is such a wonderful store. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I mean, you could get in big trouble really fast on Too Public. <laughs> it's just yes. like it's like a nerd paradise of like any nerdy themed thing you could dream of. It's there. So I will definitely have to check out your guys' store because um, I'm about every other month I'm <laughs> doing cool. some Too Public, and I've been because I'm having to work as a out in the public. My job is essential. I've been just. Getting instead of t-shirts right now, I've been just ordering masks. Right. Yeah. Because I, I go through them so fast. I, 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 I sweat. And I'm like, once they're damp and wet, I can't wear them. Absolutely. I gotta take it off and switch it out. And yep. This is a smart thing to do, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wear soggy, sweaty masks. Buy new ones on Tee Public. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, man. We're right. really glad you could. Fun could come on and, and thanks as always for, mm -hmm. for listening to the show. But uh, as we wrap up here, Marisha, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on my website, princessesandpadawans.com. There's not a whole lot on there because I don't do much these days except teach children math. But uh, you can also find me on Instagram. Um, 
What's my Instagram, love? Princesses. Princesses underscore and underscore Padawans. And I'm P Padawans on Twitter. All right. And David, where can people find you? You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at stay underscore creative DD and on my YouTube channel, creative D and D. And Nicholas, where can people find you online? Um, so primarily, uh, on Twitter, I'm backyard Tardis, or I believe it's back Tardis is the shortened form Twitter gave me. But if you search backyard Tardis, I'll come up. It's a picture of a Tardis in the backyard. And then also, that's that's kind of my general uh, positive sci-fi feed. If you want my all-around gaming and hot take feed, that's Cybersonic8472. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm Andrew Gore. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can find me hosting our other show, Coruscant Radio Underground, every week. That's where we talk about everything in that galaxy far, far away. Uh, you can find us at thesciencefictionary.com. You can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com. And until next time, may the force be with you.